Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 152, Stephen the Ninth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Hey everyone, today's Pope we've met before. His name before his election was Frederick of Lorraine. Frederick was the third son of Gothello I, the Duke of Lorraine, and he had two elder brothers, one of whom, Godfrey III, the bearded, the eldest, is going to play a major role in our story. Frederick was sent by his father to study at St. Lambert Cathedral School in Liege in what is today Belgium, and there he became a canon of the cathedral and eventually was ordained the archdeacon. So Frederick probably met St. Leo IX when he came to visit Mainz and was invited by St. Leo to join the group of reformers he had assembled in the Roman Church. In 1051, St. Leo selected the librarian of the Apostolic See to be made the Bishop of Toul, which opened up the spot for Frederick. And so we find Frederick working closely with Pope St. Leo, traveling with him, signing documents in his official capacity as librarian. He was made the Cardinal Deacon of Santa Maria in Domenica and served faithfully throughout the pontificate of St. Leo. We first met Frederick back in episode 150, when St. Leo sent him as an ambassador to Constantinople with Cardinal Humbert and the Archbishop of Amalfi. And we saw back then how part of the embassy was to deny the title of ecumenical to the patriarch Michael Cellularius. And that after some dispute, and in July of 1054, Michael Cellularius was excommunicated by Cardinal Humbert. And then the three Roman ambassadors, including Frederick, were excommunicated by the Byzantine patriarch. Frederick seems to have played a major role in writing some of the disputations presented during this tense situation, and he seems to have barely managed to escape Constantinople with his life after Michael Cellularius tried to stir up the crowd against the ambassadors. But then Frederick went from one tense situation to another, because back in Europe, his brother Godfrey was in revolt against the Emperor Henry III. Up to this point, that conflict had taken place in the Low Countries, but in 1053, Godfrey married Beatrice, the widow of the powerful Margrave of Tuscany. Now, technically, this didn't give Godfrey power in Italy, since Frederick, a different one, and Matilda, Beatrice's children, should have been in charge by laws of feudal inheritance, but Godfrey basically took over. Plus, Henry III imprisoned Beatrice and the young Frederick, and the two died in prison. So Godfrey, who is in a minor war with the Holy Roman Emperor, is now not only at war up in the Low Countries, far from Rome, but he's brought his conflicts down to his brother's area in Italy. Now, this wouldn't have been as big a problem if our Cardinal Deacon Frederick's patron and protector, Leo IX, didn't happen to die while he was away in Constantinople. So when Frederick gets back to Italy, he sees that the political situation is just not great. And because of his family, he's really in a tight spot. So he decided to lay low, and he entered the Benedictine Monastery of Monte Cassino to focus on a life of prayer. In 1055, though, Henry III died, as did the abbot Ricarius of Monte Cassino. We saw last week how the monks elected Peter, who, as Horace Mann tells us, was described by Henry III as the most perfect monk he had ever seen. But as we heard last week, for whatever reason, Victor II didn't approve of this election, which he saw as illegitimate because he had not been consulted. So Victor sent Cardinal Humbert to investigate, and apparently some of the monks complained that the election had not been canonical, while others said that it's our right to elect our own abbot. But then some of the most zealous of the defenders of Peter tried to oust the papal representative by force, and Peter thought this is really not the way to do things, so he calmed them down, and then he decided it would be better just to resign. 
a great act of humility in the midst of a difficult situation. Now, we heard last week what happened next. Most likely due to the influence of Cardinal Humbert, Frederick was elected abbot of Monte Cassino on May 23, 1057. Pope Victor II gave Frederick the abbatial blessing, ordained him a priest, which meant that he would upgrade from a cardinal deacon, obviously, to a cardinal priest, and he needed a new assignment there. So he made him the cardinal priest of San Crisogono in Trastevere. So we've got a brand new abbot and a brand new priest. But that wouldn't last long, because just a few days later, Pope Victor II died. And immediately, speculation began as to who the next pope would be. When consulted by the Roman clergy, Frederick suggested a man named John of Velletri, who we're going to meet again, spoiler, or our friend the subdeacon Hildebrand, but it turns out the person they really wanted was Frederick. Now you might wonder why Frederick? He hasn't been in Rome recently, he was just made an abbot, aren't there better candidates? Well, you have to remember that Frederick was the brother of Godfrey the Bearded, who's still in control of Tuscany, and if there's anyone who could hold his own on the world stage and keep Rome safe and free, they figured it would be Frederick, because he's got powerful relatives. So as Horace Mann relates, on August 2nd, 1057, the people dragged Frederick away from his titular church to the church of St. Peter in Chains, and they elected him Pope. He took the name Stephen IX because the day of his election was the feast day of Pope St. Stephen I. Now this election was a bigger deal than you might realize, since he was one of the first popes not selected by some outside ruler, but freely elected by the Roman clergy and people in a long time. Stephen was not a member of the imperial court. He wasn't a major political player in Germany. In fact, he was from an opposing family, and he was much more a churchman than a statesman. And the past several popes have basically been chosen by the emperor and then elected, quote-unquote, by the people. And before that, we had a couple of centuries of secular rulers of Rome choosing the pope. And then before that, the Carolingians and the Byzantines had veto or direct say over the pope. And while the emperors have basically done a good job for the last couple of popes, part of the reform movement was to free the spiritual power from out from under the hand of the secular power. So Pope Stephen is quickly and freely elected by the Roman Church. Stephen IX continued the work of reform that his patron St. Leo had begun and continued to stock the papal court with devout reformers. Cardinal Humbert was his closest friend and collaborator, but he also relied on our usual suspect, the subdeacon Hildebrand. But he also brought in a couple of additional helpers, a young northern Italian priest, Anselm de Baggio, and St. Peter Damien. St. Peter Damien Stephen basically forced to be a cardinal after the great monk refused again and again. And finally he gave in and the pope ordained him the cardinal bishop of Ostia, which is the most senior position you can have as a cardinal. So surrounded by this court of reformers, Stephen set to work continuing the process begun by his predecessors. He called several synods to try and root out those who broke the discipline of clerical celibacy. He upheld the Roman liturgy, and he worked to combat simony, which is the buying and selling of church offices. In 1058, he tried to settle the nagging problem of the Norman conquest in southern Italy. And to that end, he decided he was going to send diplomats to the east to try and gain their support and drive the Normans away. And at the same time, he sent Hildebrand north to Germany and France to make sure everyone there was on the same page and accepted his free election as pope. But then towards the end of 1058, before he could send his embassy to the east, Stephen started feeling sick. He decided to return home to Monte Cassino, where he was technically still the abbot, to recuperate from his illness. But then he started to think that he might die from this illness. So he asked the monks to elect a new abbot, and they chose a monk named Desiderius. But then Sykes Stephen started to feel better, and he decided he would send Desiderius as his ambassador to the east. And when he got back, if the pope was dead, he would then get to be the abbot. But in the meantime, the pope's still the abbot. 
So Stephen decided in February of 1059 to go back to Rome, and he was feeling a little better, and he tried to get back to work. But then again, the sickness got worse, and Stephen knew for sure that this time it was his last illness. He made the clergy of Rome promise not to elect a new pope until Hildebrand returned from his mission, and then he went to Tuscany in hopes that the climate would help him and possibly hoping to crown his brother Godfrey Holy Roman Emperor. But the climate didn't help, and the pope died on March 29, 1058. He was buried in Florence, in the old cathedral of Florence. His tomb, incidentally, was discovered in 1347 when they were demolishing the old cathedral to prepare a way for the new famous Renaissance Duomo. And he was succeeded after a rather contentious election by Pope Nicholas II. And we'll talk about him next time. Thanks for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you and God bless you.